Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Hey, y'all. Okay. Still got my reading wine. Let's get to the next part of the book. Let's see. Oh, you're going to hear fire trucks and stuff in the background of my real world life. I live down the street from a fire station. That's awesome, actually. The sound never bothers me. Um, I grew up way out in the country where it was just deathly silent all the time. And um, I love the sounds of being in a city. I love the sounds of people around me. I love hearing fire alarms and I love hearing traffic. And I'm a weirdo like that. Um, that's just a big thing that I love. So you're going to get to hear that in the background for a second while I drink my reading wine. Also, I think I just spotted a continuity error in my own novel, but you know what? There's nothing new about that. <clears throat> so let's dive right into the 14th installment of Perishables Part 2, The College Town. We met Jay Harley in the big round chino-clad bear of a man that is Dr. Bach and Officer Jacobs. They were huffing and panting and Jacobs looked like he might be about to stroke out right there in front of us. But they were running anyway and all of a sudden I had a lot more respect for all three of them. And I was ready, just maybe, to believe Officer Jacobs' stories about Vietnam. We skidded to a stop, set Tim down on the ground and didn't let go to keep him from running farther ahead without us. The other three stopped for just a moment, hands on knees, wheezing for all the world, and Everett and I talked all over one another in a wild jumble, but we managed to communicate that the zombies were back there, in the quad, on the corner towards the graveyard. Why no one had stopped to think about that, I didn't know. On the other hand, for all I knew, someone had, and they were laying dead in the graveyard, or somewhere between it and here, and no one else had any idea. What surprised us was when we saw a few dozen other people running after them. We saw the baseball team, the sports dorm is next to the end of the row of senior dorms, and we saw the Jesus freaks, every last one of them running with Bibles held up and some of them running with their eyes closed, someone else driving them by tugging a sleeve, their hands up praying while they ran. There were some of them still singing and they formed a pretty ragtag band of cheerleaders for God if you'll allow me a moment of honest assessment. There were the four guys in camo who I guess figured they were already out and they had intended to hunt zombies and ever it was right. Jay Harley had screamed his head off the whole way there, so every dorm and class building and parked car for ten miles had heard the news that real dead zombies were on the main quad. All of them, a hundred or more, ran past us in a single endless crush of people, and one of the guys in camo looked right at me as he ran by, and I swear he recognized us, knew we recognized them, but he kept running. Everett put out a hand as though he was going to grab the guy's arm, but I grabbed his wrist and jerked it back and let them go. Not now. 
I said. Later. Everett watched them go and grimaced, but he didn't say anything. In all the current of humanity going the other direction, Tim had managed to lose his momentum so that he stopped and watched them with us. They're all going to die, he said simply. I saw it in Asheville. People would try to gang up and then they'd get wiped out. I blinked at him. What? Their resolve breaks down pretty fast, he mumbled. Right away, in fact. I wondered if he'd been in one of those gangs, if his resolve had broken down when he'd seen one of them do whatever it is they were doing to the people they attacked, and if that's what had set him on the road here. I hadn't thought about that yet, why he'd come here, why he hadn't just stayed in his apartment and locked all the doors and windows and called and asked me to come to him instead. He lives on the third floor of his building. Surely he'd be safe there. These weren't exactly agile creatures from what very little I'd seen. They were meat Daleks. The crowd finished running past us, and Everett and Tim and I fell into step behind them. We weren't running, but by now neither were they. They'd seen Jay Harley and Bach and Jacob stop and go around a corner, and they'd slowed down to follow. In time, all hundred or so of us washed out onto the main quad at the opposite corner from the zombies, and there they were, the dozen or so of them, milling around, but somehow vaguely towards us. I saw them lift their heads here and there and do what seemed like it must be sniffing, like they were smelling the air for our scents. And then they would kind of twitch and set off towards us with more purpose. Dr. Bach was holding up his flashlight, one of those big black maglite things like a club. Officer Jacobs was holding out a nightstick wherever he got one of those. But in his left hand, his right had the taser in it. J. Harley Boquest was trying to hold the crowd of students back. The guys in camouflage had swung out to f the flank of the crowd and were setting up to take shots. I didn't know how much ammo they had, or how much they'd used on half the faculty of the English department for that matter, but they were lining up shots as Jay Harley was trying to get them to put their guns down. You could hurt someone with those things, I heard him bawling. Where in tarnation did you even get guns? This is a weapon-free campus. That's when the Jesus freaks started singing again. Singing with all their hearts. Their president, spiritual leader, I think is what they called him later, which is about as fucked up as it gets was this bright-faced young kid who looked like he'd stepped out of a J.C. Penney back to school circular. He was rosy-cheeked, and he had this cute little sprawl of a haircut that made him look like he was 15 instead of 21. He was wearing a flannel shirt tied around his waist and chucks, and his t-shirt had a picture of Jesus giving a big thumbs-up in a way that I felt was probably meant to be ironic, but that this kid did not understand. All that is just to help to set the scene, because what I heard the kid say as he tried to shout over the singing was... If I heard him correctly, come on, guys, we can show these lost souls the way to their rest. Then he and the rest of the Jesus freaks started walking across the quad towards the zombies, singing and clapping and doing pretty much everything short of open ululations. Jacobs was shouting at them to get back. Everyone else was staring wide-eyed at the zombies, and Jay Harley was now running back and forth in front of the guys in camouflage, trying to get them to put their guns down. The zombies and the freaks met head-on, and spiritual leader had his throat torn out in one swipe, like someone pitting a cherry. Everyone behind him stopped singing and started screaming. The panic that ensued is a little jumbled and hard to describe. One of the kids in camo stood up and grabbed Jay Harley to drag him out of the way as the other three fired into the crowd. The zombies were going haywire, Jesus freaks pounding on them or passing out or running around in every direction. I saw puffs of dust in the light of the sodium bulbs overhead as bullets hit the zombies. 
I saw sprays of blood as bullets hit kids or zombies bit them or whatever was happening out there. It took a few seconds, tops, and then the kids in camo were trying to reload, but Jay Harley was hitting them over the shoulders with a wooden stake he'd pulled up out of a section of grass on the quad that had been reseated and roped off to keep people from walking on it. The guys in camo were yowling and diving away from him, crouched still, guns falling out of their hands as he walloped them there at the corner where the shoulder meets arm. Everett and Tim had run forward to try to grab students and shove them away from the melee that had broken out in the middle of the quad, the baseball team only too glad to run the hell away rather than stand around swinging at dead guys in dress uniforms. Jacobs was screaming his head off and Bach was still standing there in shock. I saw a zombie take him down with one strike and then turn on Jacobs, but the security officer still had that taser in his hand and he set it off. The zombie froze and jerked and twitched and then landed on the ground with smoke curling from its flesh. Jacob stared and blinked at it and turned as though to use it on another one, but that one was already there, and Jacob's, too, was down in a torn heap. I ran over and grabbed a little megaphone from Jacob's belt. He hadn't had a free hand for it before, and held it up to my mouth as I ran back towards Everett and Tim and J. Harley Boquest, who had single-handedly chased away the kids in camo. Everybody, I shouted through a get out of the quad, run this way right now, and keep going. Now, 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 now. Somehow they got through to them, and the students who were still there and still mobile were all at once running back the way they'd come, around the corner, out of sight, back towards their dorms and the far end of campus. The zombies were pretty casual through that, some of them making a weird hissing noise when their arms would close on empty air as an undergrad got ten feet for every one of theirs. In the span of ten seconds, it was Everett, Tim, Jay Harley, me, and, quick count, eleven zombies. The zombies all turned to look at me. Harley, I said, voice relatively even, do you have your keys to the math department? Yes, he wheezed. Something wasn't right in his voice, but he was still walking. Yes, girl, yes. Get them out. We, the four of us, are about to run in my office. But I am going to scream my head off the whole way there. Have we all got that? We are not going to do it. Anything but run straight to the front doors of the math building, and we are going to go where I say we go, and I am going to scream the whole way. Is that clear? Three heads nodded. I saw Everett smile. Jay Harley started to say something, but I pointed my finger right at his ancient face. I am giving the orders. You are going to do what I say. I do not have time for surely a lady bullshit right now. Jay Harley nodded. One, I said. Two, Three. I flicked the contact on the megaphone and I screamed as loud as I possibly could. I screamed the girl scream, the one Fay Ray uses when King Kong has her in his grip. I screamed the way Judith O'Day did, the way Elsa Lanchester did, the way Gloria Stewart did. I opened up down deep and I thought of that poor demented kid from the Jesus Freaks, of Tim and whatever he'd seen in Asheville to make him come here. I screamed for Officer Jacobs and the English Department faculty and a kid who tried to get Everett fired one year had been so scared and so desperate to hoard food that he'd flirted with him the next. I screamed for fat old Dr. Bach who'd stood there in silent terror and I screamed for the fact that I didn't just get into damned UNC Chapel Hill to do my master's in the first fucking place. I screamed the scream of humanity afraid and if there's one thing movies have taught me Zombies must answer. It's that.
11 zombies turned as one and started coming after us, and the four of us ran as hard and fast as we could to the front door of the math building. Harley was fishing around on his key ring and finally got the doors open and the other three started to pull me inside, but I put up a hand to stop them. We have to make sure they follow me, I said. Tim and Harley started to protest, but Everett nodded and squeezed my hand. Come on, Harley, he said, voice very calm. We've got to unlock every door between here and Jennifer's office as fast as we can. Open the janitor's closet down there, I said as they started to go. Plug the drain in the sink and fill every bucket you can find. I stood there and watched the zombies march towards me. I only backed through the doors and around the front steps and down the others into the basement as long as they could see me. I could see them, and they could see me, or at least the two or three in the lead could see me. I wanted them not to have a chance to get distracted, to wander off, to see a shiny and go for it instead. I needed all of them to follow me right now. I was quick going down the stairs into the basement, but they were pretty good at handling stairs that went down because, you know, gravity. Most of them toppled over somewhere along the way, but they dragged themselves just like the one in that cell phone video from the news. I kept my breathing steady, kept moving, backed along the hallway past the industrial green painted cinder blocks and the mesh window with the bulletproof glass to protect a clerk that had been eliminated from the payroll 15 years before. I counted the zombies as they crawled and shambled towards me. Eleven. I really had them all, as far as I could tell. Every single one of them had its eyes on me. Eyes set in hollow faces, caved in and rotted long decades ago, and not a one of them made any sound. It was the first time I realized there really was something in there, and whatever it was, whether it was them or something else, it knew what I was, and it was hungry. I backed up the little ramp into the machine room, and then I eased down an aisle between two rows of Honeywell DPS-7s, which, to be honest, are from the late 80s, not the 70s, but they looked like something out of the 70s all the same. I noted their Carolina blue coloring with some irony. The zombies shambled up the ramp and through the doors, past the high voltage signs, as ignorant as babes. Everett and Tim and Harley had been busy. They had some of the panels off the floor to slow down anything that wasn't that great with footing. The two zombies that were still walking upright toppled over as one foot or the other plunged into the raised flooring and wedged between pipes of coolant. Some got hung up behind those. Some advanced on elbows without any problems, and when they were all in rows between my babies, the precious Honeywells and the old IBM 360s and the Unisys and the once-upon-a-time top-of-the-line Cray, I hefted the janitor's bucket that had been filled and threw it from the middle of my chest with both hands so that it struck one of those DPS-7s. The panel had been pulled open by Everett or someone and sparks flew everywhere. Everett heaved another bucket of water and hit another bank of machines, and the zombies caught in the surge of electrified water moaned for the first and only time. Every time I'd heard them before, on the news, out in the quad, they had hissed. In the hallway, like I said, they had been completely silent. Now they groaned, like living things in terrible pain. Tim handed me another bucket, and I threw it. Fire shot out of one of the computers. Harley watched this in abject horror, frozen, so I took his bucket from his hands and threw it myself. 
More fire shot out and a cascade of sparks flew out of one of the first ones we'd hit. Smoke poured out of it. The sparks and the fire had set off some sort of reaction so that a geyser of sparks flew out of three entire rows and the lights flickered abruptly and Everett shouted, Where to now? I turned towards the door to my office, but that was crazy and I realized it in a second. So I turned back around and the four of us ran towards that sliding window. I threw it open and clambered through, landing hard on the tile floor on the other side, then rolled out of the way so Tim could follow. Then Jay Harley with Everett shoving him from the other side. Then Everett finally squeezing his massive shoulders through the window and kicking out so that the four of us were out of the machine room and all the zombies were in it. The Halon system, I panted. It's going to go off and kill the fire. Disabled, Tim gasped. Everett threw a switch or something. Everett nodded at me. He had gotten my plan right away. There were still machines sparking out and bursting into flames in there, and the zombies that hit the electricity were frying fast. Still, some were mobile, so I ran back to the janitor's closet and grabbed a hose that was attached to the sink. I dragged it back down the hall, and it would just barely reach to the clerk's window. I jammed the window shut on it so that it held in place, and then I ran back to the janitor's closet. One twist of the knobs turned on the water with shocking force. Seconds later, water shot out and started spraying into the remaining big iron in that room. Everett had already gone up the hall in his rubber-soled shoes to slam the doors into the machine room shut. We stood there and watched water spray into the room and more smoke billow out of more machines, and then the lights flickered and went out, and the four of us ran in unison for the exit. By the time we were outside and on the quad, I was laughing. Everett started laughing. Tim stared at us and then started to laugh and cry all at the same time. Jay Harley Boquest just stared at the building and wept. We laughed and cried and screamed and whooped, and Jay Harley produced a pack of generic menthols, and everyone had one and coughed and sagged with exhaustion as we watched fire appear in the first-story windows of the math building, then from there engulf the other two floors. That took a few minutes, in which we stood back to back to see if any more zombies were out. There weren't. We all went to Jay Harley's house, and I was so incredibly exhausted that I had no trouble whatsoever going to sleep in the middle of his living room floor. The rest of them sat up listening to the police scanner, but they never heard a thing. I figured the world would still be there for us when I woke up in the morning, and if I wasn't, well, I was too tired to give a damn. The next day, we learned that 20 zombies had been found and killed in and around Mount Aries. The report said 9, because it didn't include our 11 from the math department. 20 was the real total. The fire, it turned out, had spread to the biology department before it had been put out. There was another all-hands meeting two days after that at the student center, and the chancellor wrung his hands and knotted his fingers together and announced Dr. Jane Dell would be the interim chair of the biology department in light of Dr. Bach's tragic, heroic demise defending students from an advancing wave of the enemy. No one would say the Z word anymore. I'd only said it a couple of times myself, and already it felt stupid to use it. I knew what they were, yes, but it seemed ridiculous to use that word. That woman, Everett said, listening to the news about Dr. Dell, she hates me. I'm going to have to find another job. He shook his head and crossed his arms. You don't know. She hates me. I tried to tell Everett that was crazy. Besides, what was I going to do without him? But J. Harley Boquest relieved me of that concern by firing me. 
You destroyed every computer in the machine room, he said, not looking at me when he called me to his office a week later. There just isn't a damn thing for you to do. So I moved back to Chapel Hill with Tim and got a job at an ice cream shop and applied for the doctoral program at UNC. I got waitlisted. This time I'm sticking around to see if it pans out. Everett keeps up with me on Facebook. He found a job at a little school in Nebraska. If you think Mount Aries is full of the walking dead, he wrote to me in his first message, you should see this town. And that, folks, is the end of part two of Perishables. The edible interlude is prepackaged snack cake bread pudding. A recipe for the adventurous or the doomed. Ingredients. One dozen prepackaged snack cakes with a cream filling of any flavor. Two cans of sweetened condensed milk or two cups of milk prepared from non-fat dry milk powder plus four teaspoons sugar or other sweetener. One can fruit-based pie filling of any fruit or fruit combination. This is optional, but nice. And one jar of light corn syrup. Also optional. In the grotesque wastes of the aftertime, fresh ingredients will be hard to come by. This recipe has the advantage of relying entirely on products that were prepared for human consumption long before humans become the consumed. To make this recipe, you will need one implement capable of cutting doughy snack cake material and scraping out its insides, one pan, one bowl, and patience. Open the snack cakes and slice each in a half, then scrape the creamy filling into the bowl. You should tear each emptied snack cake into shreds that are slightly smaller than bite-sized, then place the pieces in the pan in a loose pile. Shake your cans of sweetened condensed milk or milk and sugar vigorously and mix in the corn syrup if available. Pour the milk and or syrup over the shredded snack cakes to drench them. Mold the resulting mush into a lumpy mass in the pan. You want it to be obvious that the pudding was once different types or units of pastry and stuck together. Open the canned fruit filling, if using, and use to coat the outside of the bready mound, then spread the creamy filling across the top to crown the affair. A traditional bread pudding would have been baked in an oven, but that luxury is probably no longer available to you. If it is, you need to merely warm the dish. Slice, serve, and enjoy in a world that no longer has time for low-carb diets. And ladies and gentlemen, next time we will start Perishables Part 3, The Doorbusters. Thank you for joining me on this little journey that we're having together. Like I said before, I hope that you are safe and well, and that you stay that way. And that you have what you need, and if you don't have what you need, that you find it real soon. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.